0: you may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. It's exciting to be here. This, uh, this is my first time to be here in the new year. Many of you guys were here last week, but I'm very excited because we're starting a brand new series in the book of Acts called Something Bigger Than Me, and we're going to see through the book of Acts, uh, we're going to follow the progress of the gospel, and that Jesus calls us as believers to be a part of something that is bigger than ourselves. Um, when I was in seminary, I was, I was going through some of my, my old notes this last week. Every once in a while, i try to freshen up my, my preaching skills and my, all my skills that I learned in seminary, and I came across some things from my preaching class, and they always said, you know, you want to start with, with a story or a joke or something to get them hooked in. So uh, we've got a lot to cover this morning, so bear with me as I start with a joke. Knock, knock. Good, you're awake. Let's try that again. Knock, knock. I'm a... I'm going to skip the joke because we've got a lot to cover this morning. So open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, and let me just give you a little bit of background on the book of Acts. Acts is short for the Acts of the Apostles, and we're going to follow the story of, of Jesus' original disciples who then multiply out, and the gospel begins to spread from this little bitty group of 12 men, and really we're going to see at the end of this Uh, first chapter that there were 120. It's going to go from 120 to reach millions in a very short amount of time. Uh, So it's called the Acts of the Apostles. Somehow, I think, have appropriately renamed it the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because we're going to see the Holy Spirit working through uh, the, the early church, and it's the Holy Spirit who becomes the engine for the work that's being done. This book was written by Luke, and we know a little bit about Luke. We know that he was a companion of Peter, and he was also a companion of Paul, traveling companion. We know that he was a doctor. Uh, Luke is also the author of the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. And really, this man Luke has written more of the New Testament than any other author. The books of Luke and Acts, two books, make up over one quarter of the text in the New Testament. So this is a, a, a pretty important book, and we're going to see that uh, in this book, there's a theme that runs throughout this book, and, and we'll refer, sh- refer to this theme throughout the series. And the theme is this, that we as the church have been, uh, we are one church, empowered by one spirit, for one mission, to spread one message about one Savior. We are one church, empowered by one spirit, for one mission, to spread one message about one Savior. And that's really what this book of Acts is going to follow, and that is the something bigger that we get to be a part of. The thing that's bigger than me is this mission, this empowered mission that we as followers of Christ get to be a part of The other thing about the book of Acts is uh, there's a theme verse in verse 8. It's actually in our text for this morning. And let's go ahead and look at that verse. It says, many of you will be familiar with this. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see a couple key phrases there this morning that we're going to look at in just a little bit. We see the words power, Holy Spirit, and witness. And these themes are going to come up over and over again throughout the book of Acts. And we see also that we're given an outline for the book of Acts that follows the progress of the Gospels. We're going to see the Gospel go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth as we follow throughout this book. The other thing I want us to notice this morning about this book is that the book of Acts is really a book of transitions. It's a transitional book. Before the book of Acts, you have all the Gospels. The Gospels record the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then after Acts, you have the epistles. The epistles are letters that were written by some of the early disciples. Paul, John, Peter all wrote these letters to churches that had been established. Well, we wouldn't know anything about those churches that were established if it weren't for the book of Acts. The book of Acts gives us this big transition from the Gospels the story of Jesus to the epistles, the instructions to the church on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So we have that transition. We also see a major transition in the actions and attitudes of the people. Think about this. Peter writes two books after the book of Acts. He writes two, two books to the churches. Uh, it, when we end the Gospels, where do we find Peter? Well, we see that he's just denied Christ three times. And, and we do get one account of him being restored. But the last we hear of Peter, he's sitting on a shore fishing. Gone back to the only thing he knows. If it weren't for the book of Acts, we would have no reason to listen to Peter. Because what we see in Acts chapter 2 is something major changes in Peter. He has a major change in his attitude and his actions. And it just happens to coincide with the empowering, the coming of the Holy Spirit. The next thing we see are we see some gospel transitions. We see it transition geographically, theologically and racially. Geographically, as I mentioned, it goes from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and we see that throughout the book. Chapters 1 through 7 covers Jerusalem. Chapter 8 we see it in Samaria. Chapters 10 through 28 it goes to the ends of the earth ending in Rome. We see it shift theologically. We see that initially people thought that the message of a Messiah, a God who created the earth, wanting to redeem all mankind, uh, was the message that had been entrusted to Israel. They were called even back as far as Deuteronomy. God says, I'm placing you in this land, this very strategic place, so that you'll be my witnesses to the whole earth. And we see that shift from going just from the people of Israel to now the church, that now the church is entrusted with the message. God still has a plan for Israel, but as far as the message of the Redeemer, we see that others are drafted in and grafted into that, and it becomes about the church, Jew and Gentile together, entrusted with that message. And that also shows the racial transition that happens from being just a Jewish thing to now we see it's a predominantly Gentile transition as we close out the book of Acts. We're also going to see a transition in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see this in a big way next week when we get to chapter 2, but there's a big transition in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit functions, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, but we'll see it mainly next week in chapter 2. But let's go ahead and dive into our text. Acts chapter 1, read with me verses 1 through 5. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus. Theophilus is the person to whom this book of Acts is addressed and also the Gospel of Luke is addressed to Theophilus. He says, I wrote to you the first narrative about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after he had suffered, he also presented himself alive, to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God while he was together while he was together with them he commanded them not to leave jerusalem but to wait for the father's promise this he said is what you heard from me for john baptized with water but you will be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now so in these first few verses really in the very first verse we see that our first transition we see the transition from uh it says uh I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is that Jesus is the one continuing to work. Jesus work and his teaching continues, but it continues in a new way. It's not through Jesus himself doing the work and the teaching. It's now through going to be through his followers believers in Jesus Christ. It's still Jesus doing the work, but he's doing it through the church. And here's our first transition. Jesus continues his mission through his church. Jesus continues his mission through his church. Think about that. Jesus' work taking place through you. What was Jesus' mission? Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. And then he tells us in Luke 19 how he's going to do that. What else was Jesus' mission? How is he going to build his church? Luke 19.10, he says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. I've come to seek and to save the lost. That is his plan for building his church, that he would take those who have yet to know Christ, that they would be saved as they hear the gospel, as they put their trust in him. And that would be the building of his church. The church would be a place where people not only come to know Christ, but they are discipled, they are trained up. That they would then go out and seek and save the lost, just as Jesus had done. We're entrusted with that same mission. We're entrusted with that same mission. And I love Acts chapter 1, verse 2. If we can get that back up on the screen. It says, uh, and Until the day he was taken up, after he had given them suggestions... All right, anytime I say something that the Bible doesn't say, you just cry out heresy, all right? So after them, he had given them suggestions. Heresy. All right, thank you, Scott. I love the enthusiasm. I knew I could count on you. Uh, after he had given them recommendations. Oh, are you guys awake this morning? After he had given them recommendations. Oh, no, what does it say? After he had given them what? Orders. Orders. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to know that you have been given orders. And I love, it says, uh, the apostles, he had chosen. And I think it's important that we understand that if you are in Christ, you are chosen in two ways. Number one, you're chosen for salvation. And number two, you are chosen to serve. You are chosen for service. Let's look quickly at 1 Peter 2.9. What's it say? 1 Peter 2.9 tells us, you are a what? You guys got to wake up. You can do better than that. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that you may what? Here's your job. Proclaim the praises of the one who called you, chose you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are chosen for salvation. We are chosen for service and we are given orders and we know those orders. We can find them different places throughout the New Testament. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. That's our theme for the year, that we would make disciples. We see this commission repeated in Luke 24, John 20, and again in Acts 1-8. That mission is evangelism and discipleship, to reach the lost, to walk with them to maturity, that they would be able to turn around and reach the lost. And how is it that we are to do this? Well, Jesus also gave his disciples an order. The order was to wait. Wait for what? To wait for the Holy Spirit. Let's keep looking. Verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, he, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring this, the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it "Is not for you to know the time or periods the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth and here 's what we see we see the disciples asking a very nationalistic, a very me centered question. They want to know about me. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You've got to understand that this gospel, it is bigger than you. It's bigger than the nation. It is universal in scope. It's to go to the ends of the earth. And that's our call as well, to be a part of something that is bigger than us. Stop thinking so small. The gospel is bigger than that. It's inclusive. It's universal. It is open for all who will come to the Father through faith. Jesus says, open your eyes. I've got something bigger for you. To be a part of. My mission is bigger than that. But if you're going to be a part of that mission, there's something that's going to have to happen. Something's going to have to change. And he tells us exactly what that is. The second transition we're going to see is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We are empowered to continue Jesus' mission. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to continue Jesus' mission. There's a big emphasis in chapter 8, on uh, verse 8, on these three words, Holy Spirit, witness, and power. And next week, we're going to see this in a big way, this major transition in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon someone to accomplish a certain task that God had for them, and then it would leave them. That's why the psalmist, King David, he says, he says, Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He says, Don't take it from me. I don't want to miss the presence of your Spirit. Don't take it from me. They didn't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And we're going to see next week in chapter two the Holy Spirit's going to come in a powerful way. It's going to come in a powerful way, and its ministry is going to change. It's no longer going to come on someone for a special task and then leave, it's going to indwell the believer at the moment of salvation. And, and we're even going to see some transitions through the, through the uh, book of Acts where at first it comes in a special way at Pentecost. Then we're going to see that there are some groups of people that receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of the apostles. And then we see that it comes at the moment of salvation. It's this transitional period. And now we're, we're in that period where the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit. And that's where these guys are. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. Uh, It comes upon you and immediately indwells believers. It seals you as a down payment of the inheritance, and it never leaves the believer again. We don't have to pray as the psalmist prayed, take not your Holy Spirit from me, because once you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You are his forever, forever. These men that Jesus is speaking to in chapter 1, they have yet to experience the coming of the Holy Spirit as it will in chapter 2. They lived before chapter 2. They lived through chapter 2, and they lived after chapter 2. You and I have the blessing that the only life we know in Christ is one that is after Acts chapter 2, the immediate indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is doesn't just come upon us for no reason. It's not an arbitrary reason that God gives us the Holy Spirit. We see that there is an empowering of the Spirit. This empowering, he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you in power, and what? And you will be what? Witnesses. There's a purpose behind the power. There's a purpose behind the power. Power and witness These two words are used in Luke 24 as as Luke records there the end of his gospel. He records this commissioning. He uses the same words, power, dunamis, dunamis. We get our English word dynamite from that, explosive power. He also uses the word martis, martis, witness, Witness, martyrs. we get our English word martyr for this, primarily because in the days of the early church, throughout the first few hundred years of the church, if you were a witness, if you spoke what you knew about Jesus Christ, if you witnessed, then you were usually martyred for your faith. And even in the act of being martyred, you were bearing witness to your conviction that you believed that Jesus was alive and he had raised from the dead. Witness and power, witness and power. Now let me ask you this, between those two words, which one do you see on more Christian t-shirts? Which one do you hear about more from preachers on the radio? Which one do you see on more Christian bumper stickers? You see, we like the idea of being empowered, but we don't always like the idea that that empowerment is for a purpose, that it is for us to witness, to witness with our words. We're going to see throughout the book of Acts that this witness is tied deeply with the verbal proclamation. Uh, It's tied with our proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. There is something that I believe we are, we misunderstand the Holy Spirit and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. If we think the only reason we have received the Holy Spirit is simply to make us nicer, to make us better Christians. And it may be hard for some of us to hear, but I believe this is true, and I believe it shows itself in the book of Acts. A person who is not speaking often about their Lord proves that they are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let me explain something. There is a difference between having the Holy Spirit. Every believer, if you've put your trust in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. But there is a difference between having the Holy Spirit and being filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit. God's desire is for you to not just have the Holy Spirit, but to be empowered and to be filled by the Holy Spirit. But that empowerment, that filling, comes for a purpose. To be a witness. Many of you know the saying by St. Francis of Assisi, uh, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Please, please do not fall into that Very unbiblical saying. As if living a gospel-centered life and proclaiming the gospel were two separate things. Yes, it's important that you live out your faith, but it is also important, we must understand, that the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit is so that we would open our mouths and speak the truth of Jesus Christ to others. Let me look just real quick. Acts chapter 4. Uh, I, I just want to point to one. There's a few. There's 4.13 gives you this. Uh, we're going to skip that one. 4.29 um, gives us this one. And then verse 31 says it the most clear. It says, when they had play, prayed, they placed, uh, the place where they were assembled was shaken, and they were all uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and began to what? Speak. They began to speak what? God's message. What is that message? Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead. They spoke it with what boldness that that is the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. There are other verses if you want to write these down acts fourteen three you can go there, and even at the end of the book acts twenty six twenty six we see it believers being filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking the good news of Jesus Christ boldly and with power. do me a favor let's let 's put acts one eight back up there. And I want you to do this, but fill in your name, but Scott will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he will be my witness. But Jordan will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon her and she will be my witness. But Richard will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on him and he will be my witness. Amanda will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon her, and she will be my witness. Let me ask you is that your experience? Is that true for you? Do you daily, weekly, regularly experience the empowering of the Holy Spirit working through you as you boldly proclaim His truth to the people around you? He he even gives them an outline of where they're supposed to go. He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I want to encourage you that, that we ought to start in our Jerusalem. What is your Jerusalem? We, we say it this way, where you live, work, and play. On your street, in your workplace, and whatever you do for fun. Wherever you go, that's your Jerusalem. That's your primary sphere of influence. And I would encourage you to evaluate how frequently am I being a witness verbally? Am I letting the Holy Spirit empower me to speak about my Lord and Savior to the people in those places? We have a great opportunity to be a part of something. Is the gospel triumphing in you as you boldly speak about Jesus Christ? Last thing I want us to look at. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. We're going to see some some astonishing things happen here. And and some of us, uh, I want us to think about how we would feel if we were put in this position. After he had said this, he was taken up. And as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. That's angels, presumably. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So what's happening? Jesus ascends. He goes. He goes. And the disciples are left there, and the the language that's used there means that they're straining to see Jesus as long as they can. And these two men, presumably angels, show up and say, Hey, let's go, guys. He gave you something to do. You need to go do it. And the implication is that, that we are to continue Jesus' mission until he returns. We are to continue Jesus' mission until he returns. Jesus' last words are, you're going to receive power by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to be my witnesses. The implication is, don't stop doing what I've told you to do until I return. Don't stop until I return. What I'm telling you to do, keep doing it. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples that uh, in a short while, I'm going to go away, and it's actually better for you that I go away. Now imagine being one of Jesus' disciples. You've walked with this man for three years. You've seen the miracles that he does. How could it possibly, Jesus, how could it be better that you go? And he says, it's going to be better because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. I am with you, but my Holy Spirit is going to be in you. My Spirit is going to be in you. It's going to empower you to do things that you cannot do if I remain here, if the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell you. That commission that Jesus gives his disciples Still stands for us today, to go make disciples, to be witnesses. It stands for us today, and we keep doing it until He returns. But I want us to think about where we leave the disciples, the early believers in Acts chapter one. Jesus has gone to heaven, and the Holy Spirit has not come yet. You talk about a transition. Put yourself in their place. What's going through your mind? Transitions can be a scary thing, but they can also be an exciting thing as you anticipate something better that's coming. Something bigger than yourself that's coming. And I believe that God has brought us to this book. It's interesting that uh, our sermon calendar is is approved by the elders way back in July. And we plan to go through this book and um, as I was preparing the last few weeks to, to begin presenting this, this message to you guys, I realized that we find ourselves in the same place as the early church. We're in a time of transition. This is our fourth year of ministry as a church. And if you know anything about church planting, go and read anything about church planting and core teams, and what you'll find is that typically like 99% of churches that launch with the model that we launched with a small core team of adults by the end of their third year of ministry, 100% of that core team has left for various reasons. Sometimes they move. Sometimes it's, hey, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. It's a little bit harder than I thought it was going to be. Various reasons people move on. We beat that average. We've got 25% of ours left. All right. But it's a time of transition. It's a little bit scary. But guess what? As, as people have transitioned out, God has transitioned new people in. We've seen staff members. We've had some staff members transition on. Early on, we got Stephen. And then we've had staff members that have transitioned out. And those can be scary times. And it can leave us wondering what's happening. Um, many of you guys can look around this room and say, You know what? This room used to be a lot more full on a Sunday morning. Back in July, June, early part of August, we we were seeing 90 people worshiping with us on a Sunday morning, and we've somewhat transitioned into a a little bit smaller period of time when we're averaging about 65, 70, and and it's not unnormal. It's not out of the norm. Everything in life has this S-curve, especially in the life of a church, even Jesus' own ministry, Jesus starts with 12. He goes and he recruits these 12 guys to follow him. And then we read that he's got 72 that he sends out. And then we read next that he's sitting with 5,000 men. So about 10,000 people sitting on a hill listening to him teach. And then he teaches something that turns them away. And we see that his ministry declines primarily back to those 12 with a few more. And it just kind of goes like this. And then we see even after his resurrection... Uh, If you read on in chapter 1, we read that there's only 120. There's only 120 believers that remained after three, four years of ministry for Jesus. And so it's not uh, abnormal for us to have this, this time of transition. And we, as an elder board, have recognized, we acknowledge that we are in a time of transition. And the question is, what do we do? How do we move forward? As I said with with the disciples, that time period where there's no Jesus and no Holy Spirit, man, it could be a scary time. But I believe that they were excited about what lied ahead. And we are excited about what lies ahead. I believe they were excited because Jesus gave them a plan. He gave them a plan that was strategic. Wait for the Holy Spirit, and be witnesses, and multiply. We have a plan as well as an elder board. And just to let you know where we are as Uh, As a church, what is our transition plan? What's our plan to transition to the next phase of ministry? The first is we're going to continue our mission to make disciples. We're going to continue our mission to make disciples. We want to disciple you, uh, and we want to equip you to be a disciple maker and a witness for Jesus Christ. And so as part of that process, the elders began back in, I believe it was August, We began reading a book called Simple Church. And we would encourage you, if you would like to know where we're headed as a church and and, uh, some things that that we've been working on in the Elder Board, you can buy a copy on Amazon. It's, It's a pretty quick read. Um, uh, simple Church. And what this, ch- what this book talks about is what is your strategic plan for making disciples in your church? And so, as an elder board, we have been refining our process. We're thinking through what is our process for making disciples. And what we hope is we ask three questions here at River Rock Bible Church Who are you? Where are you spiritually? And how can I help you take a next step? Those are the three questions we ask. We feel like we do pretty good at, at helping people ask the question, Who are you? And where are you spiritually? Uh, But we want every single one of the people that attends here regularly, calls River Rock their home, we want everybody to be able to say, I know what my next step is. Or, I've got this person in my life, I know what their next step is. And so we're developing a process that would be so simple that you would be able to say, oh, I know what their next step is. I know what my next step is. So that we can help you take those next steps to mature in Jesus Christ. And for those who don't know Christ, to help them come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So we are refining our discipleship process. The second part of our transition plan is this, that we would ask you to make a commitment to gather. Commitment to gather on Sunday mornings. Uh, yes, you can worship other places. You can worship from watching on TV or listening to the radio. But there, I believe there is something special uh, that happens when we gather as the body and we worship the Lord together and we're able to encourage one another. Those things can't happen if we're not here. Um, We talked a little bit about that last semester, but I would encourage you to make a commitment to gather on Sunday morning. And as you look around and you see, man, you know I haven't seen that face in a long time. Pick up your phone and call them. Say, "Hey, love to see you at River Rock tomorrow morning. What time should I pick you up?" Call those people that you see that that maybe aren't as regular as they used to be, and invite them. Invite them. Uh, Secondly or thirdly, we're going to pray. Acts chapter one verse fourteen. What do we find the believers doing? They gather together and they pray. They pray. They they're praying for the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pray. We're going to continue with our Luke ten two prayer. You've heard about that this morning. Uh, many of us at beginning in September we set an alarm on our phone to go off every single day at ten o two as a reminder that we would pray for the laborers and the harvest. We believe there is a harvest of people who do not know Jesus Christ here in Georgetown and the surrounding area that is ripe. And if we would be faithful as workers in the harvest, that God would use us and he would allow us to see new men, women, and children putting their trust in Jesus Christ. The second part of this that we're going to do beginning uh, January 26th is we're going to have a fourth Thursday prayer meeting. We're going to meet at Hill Country Bible Church. That little house in the back, if you, if you know where that is, at the back of their property, they have a little house. And we're going to meet there from 6.30 to 7. And we're going to gather there every fourth Thursday of the month, uh, continuing on from January 26 to February, March. Every fourth Thursday, we will gather, and we will come together, and we will pray. We're not praying for sick Aunt Sally or Uncle Bill, who lives in Kalamazoo. We are praying for the lost, and we're praying for the ministry of River Rock Bible Church. We are dedicating that time to be on our knees as a church family to pray that God would move through us, that He would use us to continue His mission. And so, I would invite you to make this a priority on your calendars, six thirty to seven thirty minutes. There will be childcare, but make this a priority and join us for those fourth Thursdays. It's once a month, uh, and Thursday night football is going away, so there's no excuses. I hope you guys will make that a priority and join with the church in prayer. I believe there's something powerful that happens when God's people pray together. The third thing we're going to do, or fourth thing, is that we're going to fast. Uh, In the coming weeks, we're going to be talking more about what fasting means and what it looks like. But leading up to Easter, nine weeks before Easter, beginning on, um, I don't have the date here, uh, February 19th, beginning on February 19th, We are going to talk about what it means uh, and start a fast leading up to Easter. Nine weeks, we're going to fast together, uh, and fasting is going to be a time where you set aside time where you're praying for something specific. Our prayer is going to be for the people that we're already sharing the gospel with in our Easter Sunday service. As you know, we've been praying for 21 people to put their trust in Jesus Christ this year. I believe if we are... Uh, serious about our witness, about our prayer, and devoting ourselves to the work of the Lord, I believe that between those nine weeks and Easter and the follow-up from Easter, I believe we could see 21 come to know Christ in that time. We've seen one. Why not go for a little bit more? But I believe we could see 20 people come to know Christ during that time if we devote ourselves to the work of the Lord, which is the last thing. Last thing is witness, witness, that we would make a commitment, and I'm asking you to make a commitment now, this week and every week, that you would find some way to open your mouth and speak about your Savior to someone who does not know Christ, someone who doesn't know Christ. We want you to weekly engage in spiritual conversation in your Jerusalem where you live, work, and play, where you live, work, and play. Will you commit to doing that? Will you commit? It doesn't have to go straight to the gospel. We hope it gets there, but it could just be that you share one thing that God has done in your life recently, and you begin that conversation. You begin telling them about your Lord. Uh, We also have opportunities for witnessing around the world. We've already mentioned the Mexico trip coming up. Uh, February 19th, one of our elders is going to be preaching, Jared Bush. He's the head of our missions team. Uh, He's going to be preaching from the book of Acts. And that Sunday is going to be set aside where uh, we're going to have a special offering that all of our tithes and offerings given that Sunday will go towards world mission. It will go towards world mission. So I'd encourage you to begin praying now about what God might have you do. Um, that he would have you given a special way above and beyond your normal tithes to support uh, worldwide evangelism. And then on March 12th, to help you be equipped to be a witness March 12th, we're going to begin a new series called Contagious. The whole church, Sunday mornings and in our community groups, will be going through becoming a contagious Christian. And it's going to be a great tool to help you share, learn how to share your own story. You'll also learn a gospel presentation. But you're going to learn some simple tools for how you can have spiritual conversations and how you can even use your own story to share the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. So we're going to ask you to commit to these things. The discipleship process, as I said, the elders are refining that, trying to make that more simple for everyone. But I would encourage you, as you have opportunity to participate in that, as you hear about discipleship groups forming or you get invited to one, do it. Do it. Join with us in prayer. As we come to the time of fasting in the next few weeks, join us join us and and take up the challenge to be a witness, to be a witness. Uh, I believe that um, we need to do the same thing the apostles did in Acts chapter 1, and that was they did not move without the Holy Spirit. Jesus' order was to wait for the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have his orders. The question is whether or not we will allow his spirit to empower us and to work through us? Will we do that? We're empowered by the same spirit. We're given the same message and the same mission to seek and save the lost. To seek and to save the lost. Will you join in that mission and be a part of something that is bigger than yourself? Will you join in?